So today we're going to begin a new sermon series for the next few weeks uh, in the book of Proverbs. And so it's going to be a fun time over the next two, three months going through this. One of the commentators I was reading made a really interesting uh, opening line in his book. He said this, Almost everyone can recognize a proverb, but hardly anyone can give an adequate definition. So, in an attempt to give a definition of what a proverb is, I've accumulated a number of different statements from different people who have studied this book, and here's what they would have said about what a proverb is. A proverb is a short sentence of wisdom. Another person said, they are short sentences drawn from long experience. Uh, they're a shorthand for situations in life that recur often enough that people feel the need to have a name for them. They're speech acts that teach, taunt, and reprove depending on how they're used. They're simple moral statements or illustrations that highlight and teach fundamental realities about life. They're short and concise sayings which express timeless truth and wisdom. They arrest one's thoughts, causing the reader to reflect on how one might apply divine principles to life situations. And finally, they are sayings designed to provo provoke a response in those who hear him or hear them. One of my favorite definitions, which is not up there, was really, it's a short parable with a moral lesson. The cool thing about all of these um, variations of definitions is they all fit proverbs and they all actually capture the truth of what they're about but it's at its most basic definition the word he, proverb is the hebrew word for called masal and it's used in various ways in the old testament so the word masal does actually mean a proverb which is a short pithy saying or a short concise saying that's easy to remember it also can, the same Hebrew words is used for parable, a brief story with symbolic meaning, an oracle, a discourse of a type of prophecy, and a taunt, a form of mocking, the, especially in terms of the enemy. Jesus even used Proverbs himself in his teaching in the New Testament. Remember in Luke 4.23, he said, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. So we can see Proverbs being used in the Old Testament, both in the book of Proverbs and outside the book of Proverbs. That's how people would often communicate with one another, was in Proverbs. And Jesus even used them in his own teaching. But it's clear from everything we've learned so far that really Proverbs stimulate thought, they provide insight, and they definitely provoke the necessity for a response. Now, where did the book of Proverbs come from, and who wrote them? We learn right in the first chapter, in chapter 1, verse 1, that Solomon was the main contributor. It says here, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Later on, in chapter 10, in verse 1, Solomon is mentioned again. Proverbs 10, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, and then it goes on. So Solomon clearly is the primary author or the primary contributor to the Proverbs of this book. 
Now, King Solomon was the third king in Israel's history in about 970 BC. So these go back about 3,000 years, what we're reading today. Now, it's important to remember his story and how he came to power. So Solomon's father, probably the most famous king in the Bible, King David, had just passed away. And Solomon, being the son, had inherited the throne from David. There was a celebration in Israel commemorating his inauguration into the kingship. The day comes to an end, and Solomon, probably exhausted from the day's events and excited at the same time, figures it's time to lay his head down to rest, but something happens in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, he has a dream. And in the dream, the Lord comes to him and says, you can ask for anything you want, and it'll be granted to you. Now, before we look at what Solomon asked for, I want to talk to the kids this morning. Well, I saw heads turn. That's good. I got, you heard the word kid, and you're, we're in. Okay. I want you to pretend that the Lord God would come to you tonight in a dream, and he could say, you can have anything you want. What would you ask for? Just, you can just yell them out. Sweet chocolate. Okay. <laughs> Pardon me? Your what? Papa Morgan. Papa Morgan. Oh, that's sweet. So, a grandfather. A pet cat? Okay. <laughs> well, that's some birthday ideas coming along here, parents. So. <laughs> Maybe there's some wisdom in that. <laughs> Sorry, Sharon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, anyone else? I heard you, everything's free. Okay. Yes? To stop fighting with your sister. Well, that's good wisdom. Well, you know what? I've got enough responses to, to, to move on. Here's what happened when Solomon was approached by the Lord in a dream. So kids, listen to this. Let's, let's look what Solomon asked for. Solomon answered God. You have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions or honor nor for the death of your enemies and since you have not asked for a long life but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you and I will also give you wealth possessions and honor such as no king who was before you who had ever you ever had and none after you will ever have the Lord's response, or Solomon's response, when the God came to him in a dream and said, what can you have? What would you like? He said, I want to be wise. I want to be wise. I want to have knowledge so I know how to govern your people, how to lead your people well. Now, what's amazing about this, we need to first see in this text, is that notice that God is the source of Solomon's wisdom. So Solomon didn't gain the wisdom of Proverbs because of his own virtue. 
or because of his own sort of genetics or that he happened to be born from King David, God gave him the supernatural ability to have wisdom. It was a supernatural endowment. Second response, or observation I should say, is notice how pleased God is with Solomon for asking for wisdom. Because he asked for wisdom, and not what typically other people in that day would have asked for, especially as a king, because kings would love to have ultimate power, right, by having the enemies destroyed, would love to have wealth to showboat to other people. Because he asked for things that most kings would have um, normally wanted, and he didn't want that himself, he actually blessed him with the extras that other people would normally have because of it. And so we see, again, Solomon being one of the richest men, richest kings ever to live. But again, it was God's supernatural blessing to him because of his honest heart's request. Now, as a result of Solomon's wisdom and God's blessing, it didn't take long for news about Solomon to spread. People throughout the known world would come to seek his counsel. And we need to look at this in 1 Kings 4. It says here that God gave Solomon wisdom and every very great insight and a breath of understanding as measureless as the sand of the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. What I like about this verse is that the Lord is telling us that otherwise people did exist in that day. It wasn't that, wa- that wisdom didn't exist in other nations or amongst other people. But when it came to the... Uh, sort of being at the upper echelons, Solomon exceeded all, and all people would come to hear. So it must have been fun to be in in his temple, hey? Like, all of a sudden, this Egyptian wise person shows up with his entourage, and they have, like, debate and conversations in the temple courts about, you know, what they're learning about morality, about what it is to be a good leader, you know, even, like, sharing botany and and agricultural uh, techniques with one another. It must have been quite fun to listen to this. But again, it was, what was really cool is all the people who had come with their wisdom, who are recognized as wise people, said, we don't really hold a candle to what Solomon has to offer, which makes sense again, because it was the Lord, the creator of the universe, the redeemer of the universe, who was giving him all truth and all knowledge. So while Solomon is considered to be the main author and the main contributor to the book, he's not the only one who had an influence in the compilation of this collection. Within the Proverbs, we find other sources. So, in chapter 25, in verse 1, we find Hezekiah's men contributing to the book of Solomon. Now, I'm just going to read this to you quickly, because it's interesting here, what it says. It says, these also are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. So, Hezekiah is the 12th king after Solomon reigned, about 250 years later. 
which tells us that the book of Proverbs, as we have it today, was not finalized the way that they would have had it back then. So in other words, um, we have the final copy that came 250 years later from these guys attrib uh, attributing all these extra works of Solomon. So whatever Solomon had in his original sort of uh, filing cabinet, I guess you could say, these guys found some more and added to them. So thankfully to Hezekiah's men, we have more Proverbs listed because of the comp compilation that they did. Uh, but what it does tell us that there was 250 years later before we sort of have what we have today. There was also the sayings of the wise in 24 and 23. These were sayings of the wise. Probably Solomon heard different wise people who were in his courts come, and he heard the wisdom that they had and said, you know what, God lines up with that truth, and so he would include them in his own collection. In chapter 30, and we have a guy named Agur, and then King Lemuel in 31.1, who wrote the famous Proverbs 31 woman that everyone hates, if you're a female, because you always feel like you're measuring yourself against her and falling short. But anyway, you can thank King Lemuel for that. Um, so, not me. So anyhow, uh, you take it up with him when you see him later. But, so, uh, but these, what's interesting about these two guys is that King Lemuel and Agur, from what we know, are non-Israelite sources. They're non-Jewish non people, but again, most likely Solomon encountered them somehow in the courts of, uh, of Jerusalem. So that's kind of like the authorship of the book and where the sources come from. But let's talk about the purpose. And here's what's really cool. One thing I really learned based on the ministry that's begun in Genesis House. For those of you who are, know about this, and some of you may not, we started something called The Blessing. The Blessing. Now, The Blessing was our attempt to copy the Jewish faith in terms of bar mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs. So when you're in the Jewish, and actually the Mexicans have it too, I think it's called a cantila or something like that. But basically what it is is uh, when you turn of age, around 13, into men, um, 13 years old, we recognize as parents that you're entering into manhood or into womanhood. You're transitioning from being a child into manhood or womanhood. And so we wanted to do something in our church to uh, celebrate that and to have you disciple your children and to have a giant service and a commemoration to recognize that our kids who turned 13. Now, if this is the first time you've heard about this, then please talk to Laurel or Laura or myself about this. But right now we have some kids in the process of having their first ceremonies this year. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, I didn't, this is something I learned new this week in my own studies. Proverbs is actually a collection of wisdom teachings that's intended to be passed down from parents to a child who is coming of age. This, is all, this book was primarily written to help parents disciple their children who are coming of age. Check this out. This is really amazing. Ten speeches from parents to a son in chapters 10 or sorry, in chapters 1 through 7. It's actually 1 through 9, because 7 runs to 9. So the first third of the book is basically parents going, listen, kids, listen, kids, listen, kids. I'm going to pass down wisdom, pass down wisdom that comes from God, right? So here we go. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. My son, if you will receive my words. My son, do not forget my teaching, right? And the list goes on. I'm not going to read them all. You get the point. But this is amazing because Proverbs initially in its context is a plea from parents to children to listen to and obey the wisdom they have. 
So the Proverbs, when it's talking about wisdom, is actually answering this question. What does a young person who is coming of age need to learn in terms of becoming a mature adult and taking on the responsibilities of adult life? Now, of course, Proverbs is not limited to that. It's open to everyone and anyone, especially for those of us who have never been raised in Christian homes, who don't know the Lord's ways, or we've come to faith as adults, right? And so we're just new. Or maybe we've raised in Christian homes, but our parents weren't really heavily focused on discipleship. And most of what we've learned has come from outside the home. So Proverbs speaks to everybody, but I just didn't want you to miss the original purpose of why it was written. So here's a shout out to you parents out there that still have children in your homes. God wants you to know that Proverbs needs to be a source of discipleship of your children. He wants you to know that you are to pass the stuff down and there's 31 chapters of information about how to live wisely in this world. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Here's an idea. Just thought of this. There's 31 chapters. There's 31 days in the month. Just do one a day. Or pick one aspect of one a day. Just repeat it for 15 years or five years or whatever you have left in the home and teach your children to be wise. And let the Lord teach you to be wise as you teach your children to be wise. Okay. So if wisdom is the goal, actually, let me say it this way. Based on this then, here's the purpose of, of the book. It's to acquire wisdom so that we know how to live out our lives in ways that honor God and others. The purpose of Proverbs is to teach you how to acquire wisdom so that you will know how to live out your lives in ways that honor the Lord and others. Be a blessing to your community, be a blessing to your nation, be a blessing to the church, be a blessing to your parents, and so on. And so we get this right in the introduction. Right in the intro, we see this. Does anyone have the NLT this morning? NLT translation. Shani? Okay. You're going to read, based on what I've written here, you're going to read this, and then you're going to, uh, verses 1, chapters 1, 1 through 6, and then listen to the words from the NLT. So here you go, Shani. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young, let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. By exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Thanks, Shani. Yeah, so the, the NLT is great because it really um, encapsulates the definition on the PowerPoint here. Now, the purpose of acquiring wisdom and the need, the need for wisdom is also found in chapters, uh, chapter 9, 1 through 6. So who has an NIV here this morning that can read chapter 9, 1 through 6? 
Do I see a hand there, Levi? Is your hand up? It is? Okay, using your phone or your Bible? <laughs> I'm just teasing you. So chapter 9, 1 through 6. Wisdom has built her house. She is set up. It is its seven pillars. She has pre- prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She sent out her servants and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, "Come and come, eat my food, and drink the wine I've mixed. Let your simple ways, and you will live." Or leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Okay, I love that. The wisdom is personified as calling out, asking you to acquire it so that you will know how to live. Right? Because it talks about by being naive in there, but he's saying if you come to me as wisdom, you will not be naive any longer. So great, great text to show you the purpose of why it was written. So since wisdom is the goal, we need to look at what Proverbs also teaches in regards to wisdom. So the first thing we need to know is where does it even come from? Well, we kind of already know based on what happened to Solomon. But in 2.6, there's a great one-liner. Chapter 2.6, it just says, For the Lord gives wisdom. For the Lord gives wisdom. Very clear. Wisdom, then, is not found in and of ourselves. Wisdom is found in God. And again, that's important considering 1 Kings 4. It's not that other people can't be wise. It's just that God's wisdom is ultimately the trump card for where we seek our guidance and where it comes from. Other sources, therefore, may sound convincing, uh, even more convincing initially. Uh, Other sources of wisdom may even sound like advice that's even better to do at first hearing But what Proverbs is teaching us is that the first source for our wisdom as followers of of the hymn is really Proverbs, what the scriptures have to say, and the buck stops with him. Again, there's the people like the Jordan Petersons of the world who people respect in the Christian community for what he says. He does have wise things to say, but the, the reason why we appreciate a lot of things he has to say is because what he says lines up with what God already says about what truth is about certain circumstances. So even, so even though he may not always recognize it's from the Lord, he's wise because it is from the Lord and he's a source of truth. And so he's just sort of repackaging what God already says and puts it out there. Again, maybe not everything he says, but the parts that we can see in scriptures that line up with him come ultimately from God, even if he doesn't recognize God to be the source. The second thing we need to know about wisdom, besides where it comes from, is that the the, the reality that God desires greatly for you to have it. He desperately wants you to have it, and he makes it accessible to all. This becomes very clear in chapters 1, uh, verse 20 to 23. Let's look at this together. 20 to 23, chapter 1. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates is the, in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make my words known to you. 
Wisdom in here, interestingly enough, is personified as a woman. And all of God's people said? <laughs> Didn't hear a single man say that. That's interesting. Anyway, But anyway, personified as a woman, wisdom in chapters 1, verse 2 through 20. Now, I love this image because the image here, you know, back to the point that God desires greatly for you to have his wisdom and makes it accessible to all. I love it because he portrays the woman as wisdom crying out at the top of a, of a square in a city or crying at the head of a noisy street. Now, I think, I don't know if John and Charlene are on, uh, online and my mom's online this morning, but they're going to totally understand where I'm going with this. But in Glasgow, Scotland, they have some of the best shopping you'll ever experience. And I love it there because they block off the, this, the, this massive town square, but they block it off to like public traffic. And there's three streets, Sucky Hall Street, Argyle Street, and Buchanan Street. And when I, hear, when I got this vision of, of a woman shouting at the streets, I know, ex I know exactly where I was standing in Glasgow City. On Buchanan Street, it's kind of like, it, it's kind of, it goes straight and then it kind of, climbs a crest, but it goes on for a long, long way, like it might be a kilometer long or something like that. But I'll never forget as a kid, always shopping downtown Glasgow, and I'd stand at the top of Buchanan Street, and I could see the throngs of people, like, below me. And in the very background was Buchanan Galleries, which was the equivalent of our malls today. So you could see in the distance Buchanan Galleries, and I would just see at Christmas time, like, throngs of people, this quarter of people, and I just had a picture in Proverbs like where like I would have this massive megaphone and I'd be like, listen to me. Listen to the words of the Lord. He wants you to stop being so simple-minded. Listen to the wisdom I have, right? I mean, that's, that's the picture, except I have to be dressed like a woman because wisdom is portrayed as a woman. But the point is, is that like wisdom is crying out to you, church. Like Genesis, I was like, God is desperately seeking for you to know his wisdom and to have understanding and knowledge in these areas that he's going to talk to us about in these next few months. Like he's standing at the top of Buchanan Street and he's just screaming at you, know me, know my ways, I'm calling for you. It's accessible. It's accessible. So just grab onto it and take it. The question then is, well, how do you acquire it? Well, the answer is in 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It begins with a healthy fear of the Lord. That is where wisdom comes from. That's where it starts. And it's a pervasive theme throughout the book. I, I might be wrong on my numbers, but I counted around 14 times the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is mentioned in Proverbs. It's so much so, this is an important theme, that it starts the book off in chapter 1, verse 7, and it ends the book. The, the final th phrase is about fearing the Lord in chapter 31, verse 30. Let me read this to you. Here's what it says. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she will be praised. So fear of the Lord starts the book, Fear of the Lord ends the book, and it happens around 14 times throughout the entire letter. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Honestly, guys, it really means this, that you don't see yourself as the be-all and end-all in life. 
you don't make up what is right. You don't make up what is wrong. You don't determine how life should be lived. You don't call the shots. Ultimately, he does. It's where you say, here's when you know you feel the fear of the Lord. It's when you're like, Lord, it's your will. It's your attitudes. It's your feelings. It's your desires. It's your goals. And I'm willing to exchange all of those for my own. I'll make a trade, Lord. It's all of those things that you want for my life, and I laid mine down. Evidence that you will be fearing the Lord, though, how do you know? Ultimately, is that you will walk in lady wisdom. Chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom, she, lady wisdom, is calling to you. I will know if you fear the Lord... And you will know if you feel the Lord by the fact that you are starting to walk in the wisdom of Proverbs as they're unfolded to you. So as as Solomon and these other authors speak to you, as you embrace them in your life, you will be able to say, they fear the Lord, they feel the Lord, they feel the Lord. Because you're saying, it's not my desires or my design for life anymore. It's about the Lord's design for how I'm to respond in these situations and the things that are going on. And that's important because in Proverbs 14, 12, there's a really strong statement there. It says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Every single one of us in here, including myself, has a way that we believe is right. And he's saying that leads to death because it needs to be, what it should say is there is a way that seems right to the Lord that leads to life. So again, we're going to find ourselves up against the Lord's wisdom because of what the wisdom that we believe we have in and of ourselves. But the fear of the Lord really is to say, his way is right, and I'm going to walk in it. So the reason why we listen to it, we seek to put into practice, is not just because we personally benefit from it, or we can bring benefit to others, because it ultimately will please him. Now, why is this so important? Well, I think I've already been saying why it's important, but let's try another way of looking at it. According to Proverbs, there's another woman vying for your attention. There's another woman vying for your attention. And her name is (laughs) Lady Folly. Lady Folly, turn with me to chapter 9 and verse 13. Okay, let's read this together. Chapter 9, verse 13. The woman of folly is boisterous. She is naive and knows nothing. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by, who are making their paths straight. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here. And to whom who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten is secret, in secret is pleasant, but he does not know that, she, uh, that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. I love this again. Notice in verse 15, she's calling to those who pass by. 
So now you've got two women calling for you. In Proverbs 1, you have the woman of wisdom calling to you to go her way. But in life, you also have Lady Folly, um, the woman who wants to basically ensnare you as well, calling for your life as well. And so they're both inviting, and they're both beckoning for your attention. Now, again, this is not my language, so please don't take offense. But Proverbs is clear. If you walk after Lady Folly, you're a fool. I'm just talking, I'm just quoting Solomon. Don't, don't throw tomatoes at me. Because I can be a fool too, right? But Proverbs is clear. If you walk after Lady Folly, you're a fool. I just quickly counted, um, just quickly counted the, the, the amount of times the word fool or foolish happens in Proverbs in 31 chapters is over 50. 50 times a mention to foolishness, foolishness, fool, foolishness, fool. Can I give you a couple examples? Proverbs 13, 16. Wise people think before they act. Fools don't and even brag about it. Proverbs 14, 16. The wise are cautious and avoid danger. Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. Proverbs 18.2, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. It's a good one for kids, by the way, that last one especially. Proverbs then presents life as an endless series of choices that answer the same question. Which road will we choose to walk along? Will we embrace woman of folly, lady folly, in which... And the result will be one of hardship and will be called fools? Or will we go after Lady Wisdom and inherit the natural blessings that God has for us? This is important. I want to just show you the, what happens if you follow one or the other in terms of the blessing or the, the pain that you'll have to carry. Let's first look at Lady um, was uh, Lady Folly. What happens if you go after her? Or what is the result? Let's look at chapter 1 and verse 24. This is spoken in, in the negative. Like there's a, In chapter 1, they call us to follow Lady Wisdom, but then he talks about what happens if you don't follow Lady, Lady Wisdom and the consequences that occur. In verse 24, this is what it says. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes, when your dread comes like a storm. Look at verse 31. So they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. So, Wisdom laughs at you and I when we reject it. It was available, calling to us, but we'll eat the fruit of our own way. It kind of laughs at us, and then, it re and then we, will, we will suffer the consequences. The amount of times, though, um, blessing is promised for walking in lady wisdom is massive throughout the, the entire letter. But let me just show you one. In chapter 2, verse 7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guards the paths of those who walk in justice. He preserves the, the way of his godly ones. 
and then you will discern righteousness and justice. So look at the, ver- like, look at the words there, shielding, guarding, preserving. There's a promise of sort of protection and blessing for walking in lady wisdom. Now this raises an important point. See, as a believer in Christ, you and I can be forgiven. We can also be walking in relationship with him. So we're not denying the relationship we have with God and the forgiveness of, that God has granted us. But there's still another aspect to the Christian life. You and I can still make wise or unwise choices as a Christian who's forgiven. So being forgiven is one thing, walking in wisdom is another. You can be even wise in one particular area. So you and I might be really, really good with money, but we could struggle in friendships or vice versa. We might be great with having friendships, but we really struggle with finances. We might be great leaders, which Proverbs speaks about, at, at work or in the, in the church or whatever, but yet struggle with our own children at home. Or we might be great with our children at home and struggle to be leaders outside the home. And the list goes on. You see, you see what it means? So even if we are wise in particular areas, Lady Wisdom is still calling to you and calling to me to be wise in everything God has to offer. Everything. And so Proverbs is really there to help us mature. And I think of it this way, like, I I don't know where I learned this quote. It's kind of a proverb, (laughs) actually. Getting older is inevitable. Maturity isn't. Okay? That's that's a proverb, (laughs) I guess, in a way. Right? But getting older is inevitable. But getting wiser isn't always necessarily the case. And so Proverbs is there to help us become wise as we get old. So, categories, finances, family, raising children, friendships, leadership, how we conduct our speech, our work ethic, speaks, to, speaks a lot about laziness versus hard work, speaks to alcohol, speaks to pride, speaks to anger, and the list goes on and on and on. And so there's multiple different areas that one can study and learn from Proverbs. And we're not going to do them all here. So, um, again, I want to give you some update as to what the categories there are. So if we don't cover them, at least you can do it on your own time. But I want to finish with probably the most critical, one of the most critical pieces is that how do we properly understand them and interpret them? How do we properly come to understand them and interpret them? A guy by the name of Coptic, a commentator, said this, and it's it's a great quote. We may need to unlearn the idea that Proverbs is a book of principles that allows us to always predict or control how life will turn out. So someone might say, well, if I do this and I do that, it's a guarantee that life's going to turn out as a blessing for me. The problem is there's always exceptions. There's always exceptions. Let me give you an example. It's as an, as, an, as an exception. So in Proverbs chapter 10 and in verse 27, it makes this comment. Solomon writes this. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. So he's saying if you fear the Lord, your life will be prolonged. If you don't, it will be shortened. 
Here's the problem. David in Psalm 73 and verse 3 and 4 made this declaration. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. <laughs> okay? So it seems to contradict one another. Well, no, because Proverbs is really saying this. This is the general rule of how life works out. If, if you're going to play Russian roulette, you know, the, life is going to turn out this way. Again, you can always fight for the exception, but again, don't bank on the exception because Proverbs is teaching you this is generally how life's going to play out. So don't avoid wisdom. That's why she's crying out at the streets because wisdom knows that the, if you play Russian roulette with God's truth, it ain't going to go well for you, generally speaking. And actually, probably for the most part. There will always be exceptions. How about the salvations of our kids? Chapter 22, verse 6. Here's a, here's a, here's a promise here. Or, or I'm sorry, a proverb, I should say. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And people will say, see, that's an absolute promise from God that if I raise my kid as a Christian, they will be a Christian when they're older. And I would say, yes, that is, the, that is the general rule for what God says. However, there are exceptions, and we probably even have our own kids in here. Some of, us, some of you are older that may not have children walking with the Lord, even though you may have raised them in Christian homes. And so again, again but, the, but we would never bank against that and choose wisdom, or lady, folly, because we think that we should play Russian roulette with God's truth. So again, Proverbs really speaks to the rule of thumb in this world with enough certainty that if you don't follow Lady Wisdom, you can be called a fool for following Lady Folly. <laughs> but again, there will always be exceptions. Which leads to another really interesting conversation that we're going to have probably in, in our dialogues. Is it a sin then to disregard Proverbs? Is it sinful? Some will say yes, because how dare you ignore God's wisdom? Other people will say no, not in every circumstance. It's just unwise, but you haven't sinned. To be truthful, I'm still working on the answer to that myself to some degree, because I see in Proverbs, and I'll, and I'll give you an example, where the answer is yes to sin at times and no in others. So here, let me give you an example. Proverbs speaks a lot to your honesty with finances. Your honesty of being, say, a boss and handling money. And so really, the, the Proverbs that speak to the issue of stealing. So is there any place in the Old Testament or New Testament where you would say, stealing is just bad wisdom and not sin? And the answer is no. It's very clear through Scripture that stealing is wrong and it's sin no matter Old and New Testament. So therefore, in the issue of the good um, sin and wisdom are actually aligned. However, there's one talks in, in Proverbs about being the guarantor for someone else's debt. To use vernacular in the, uh, language or common language in our, in our culture, um, you're, co you're a co-signer. If you become the guarantee for someone else's debt, you're a co-signer. Because you're saying, I'm going to make sure that if they go defunct, I'm going to cover the, the extra there. Well, is that sin? 
And I would say, and again, you might disagree, but I'd say, no, I don't think that is. I don't see any New Testament passage that speaks to that. However, is it lady folly? Is it probably bad wisdom? Is it bad, not probably, is it bad wisdom? And God would say yes. So you're going to see, we're going to have some interesting dialogue about what we think is, is uh, sin and what's just bad wisdom and so on. So let me just give you this plug. This is where we have to exercise grace with one another like crazy. Because you're going to want to get maybe heated over what's important to you. But again, just let's walk in grace <laughs> as we discuss these things. But I'll, I'll leave you with this thought, though. There's a guarantee from Proverbs. A guarantee. And that is, that's going to invoke a strong response in all of you. There's going to be times where you're in full agreement and like, preach it, brother. And there's other times it's like, I wish I never showed up to church. I'm agitated. You're going to find yourself agitated or in agreement. And do you know what's going to determine it? Is whether you find yourself feeling that you're the exception or not. When you think you're the exception, that's when you're being agitated. Because you're like, you just said something, but I don't think that's true for me. Right? I mean, and I have the same ones. When I, I, read the, I read all 31 just for my own pleasure, just to get a feel for the book, and I was like, I didn't like that, Lord. I didn't like that, Lord. Right? So I found myself being the exception. So you're going to find yourself being the exception. Oh, well, I'll just tell you one of the ones I don't like. So one of the ones I don't like is about... Um, um, there's, there's lots about not being retaliatory towards someone when they basically get angry with you and basically giving them a retaliatory response back. Well, I don't like that. If you tell me something that's wrong, I'm gonna, I need to tell you that you're wrong too. Right? Lots about... Uh, and this is, not, um, this is not directed at Laurel's parents because they're my neighbors. <laughs> but lots about neighborhood relationships. What do you do when you have a really troublesome neighbor living beside you and I was like Lord I don't like that I don't like that I don't like that I want to tell them off and I want to put them in their place and I want to call bylaw and I want to do all these things right like there's all this retaliatory type responses so again we're going to find ourselves in disagreement and in agreement so I want to finish with one um, one text that's really powerful because Solomon wrote this right so it's the same guy who wrote Proverbs the teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Goads are sharp sticks used to drive cattle, and nails are self-explanatory. He says, the words of the wise are like sticks and nails. They jab you. They poke at you. They cause a discomfort. They make you jump. And as you read these wisdom passages from Solomon, you're going to find yourself getting kind of poked. And it's going to depend on so many things. The stage of life you're in, your past hurts, your past experiences, things you're wrestling with right now in life where you want to go a particular way and God's challenging you. It's just, it's just going to be a massive, a massive amount of things contributing to this. So Proverbs is going to prov provoke a visceral response in you. And so, again, I, w I don't know what those are, but time will tell in our dialogues. <laughs>
and if we have one-on-one conversations afterwards. Anyhow, yeah, it'll be fun to go through them all. So, but again, just to finish, remember when you're goaded or when you have a nail driven at you, this is not anyone else but the Lord with his wisdom trying to bring you in line with lady wisdom. And fearing the Lord is going to be able to say, I don't want folly anymore. I don't want lady folly. I want lady wisdom. And I surrender my attitudes, my feelings, my desires, all of these things to the foot of the cross. Lord, we give you um, praise and honor for the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and all the wisdom literature that you have, you've uh, made accessible to us, the very things that Solomon and the other authors felt that it was important for us to know for life. And so I'm grateful that you haven't left us void without any kind of guidance. And Lord, as it says in Proverbs, there's a, there's a lot of ways in us that seem right to us, but as you warn us, they lead to death, Lord. And so we pray that we'd have a humble and open heart to receive your word over these next few months as we study different topics of, of life that will pertain to the way we not only live as adults, but as we raise our own kids as well. I pray that you would also capture the hearts of the young ones because what we're talking about is topical and easy to understand. We're not getting into massive theology, so I just pray, Lord, that you would also capture the minds of the young people in here as well as they learn to make their own decisions in life and follow the wisdom that mom and dad are passing down that ultimately comes from God. We just, um, yeah, we look forward to what you're going to do in our community. And even in our communion, we are praying for unity. Well, a lot of unity comes through living wisely. A lot of disunity comes from uh, blowing up at each other and gossiping about one another and about wanting our own way in everything in life, Lord. And Proverbs speaks to the exact opposite of that. It speaks about when to keep our mouth shut and if we do open it, how to open it and in what ways. Lord, I just pray that this, this time together makes us wise so that we continue to be a unified body, but even more than you've already given us. That we can walk in the fullness of blessing that you have as a church and that we would ultimately go out of this church and impact our communities, our families, our friends, our, our province, our nation with the way even we act. I pray, God, that you would change us from the inside out. In Christ's name, amen.